If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're in our summer series of uh, You Pick It, and, uh, and we'll preach it. This morning we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15. In a few moments, those verses will be on the, on the screen. But if you have it in your Bible or your, your, uh, your own touchpad or phone, you can look there as well. So we've, uh, we've been building this building, not we like me. I haven't done any building, but uh, we're, we're hopeful that we're going to move in on Sunday, October the 4th. That's still in pencil. Don't put it in pen, but make sure you at least uh, are thinking in that, those terms. We hope to be ready by then, but maybe you have been around a couple years or so, and you can remember when it was just an open field there with a whole bunch of dirt. I remember when they started moving dirt around, our staff just walked outside and just kind of stood there and watched and cried and laughed, and it's pretty amazing. Then it, it kind of began to take a little bit of shape. Um, the, uh, the steel girders began to go up. I don't know if you can see these two guys. There's, there's two guys that, that were on those steel beams for about two straight weeks, and, and neither of them fell, and that was pretty amazing to us. We were taking bets on it. But um, it, it began to look a little bit like a building. You can see that the foundation was laid, and then it really started to take shape. That's actually the, uh, the little entrance there in the middle is actually the entrance off of Taylor Avenue, on the lower level where you'll go into the, into the student ministry, the children's ministry area. Uh, and now if you look at it today, it looks like a building. It's, um, that's the front side. That's from Kirkwood Road. And uh, in a few weeks, that will, that will be our, our, uh, our home. Uh, the question that we've been asking all along, I mean, I, I think it, it looks really wonderful. The question that, that as, as the, the owner, buyer, whatever you kind of want to call Green Tree, uh, we've been asking questions all along about the quality uh, of the materials and the quality of the workmanship. Are we sure that uh, we're getting the very best we can for what we can afford, right? So we can't, you know, afford this Grand Taj Mahal, but we can certainly, you know, have some that has good materials. So our folks have been making sure that the materials uh, are, are good quality. We've also been going around and following work, guys like Doug Pope and Michael Porter and, and Mark Shadle and others, uh, who have been tasked, Dan McGinnis, who have been tasked with making this sure this gets done right, making sure that the quality of the workmanship is, uh, is good as well. Because we want it to what? We want it to be built to last. Uh, nobody builds something like this and says, gee, I hope we get five great years out of it, right? Um, it'd be great if we had, you know, we had it paid for in 10 years. Uh, so we want it to last quite a while. But only time will tell if we've actually used the, the right materials, and we've actually invested in the right people to build the building, it's going to take some time to determine whether or not uh, the decisions we've made have been best. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, hear the word of God. Paul is writing to uh, the church in Corinth, and he says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, or will, will be seen, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. 
If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship this morning. We thank you for the freedom that we enjoy as, as, a, as a nation that would allow us to uh, use a public school facility all these years uh, as, a, as a means to gather the people of God together uh, in his praise and in his worship. Father, we know we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who not only can't do something like we do, but are actually imprisoned, they're actually persecuted, they're actually killed because they claim Jesus as Lord. So, Father, we pray for them this morning. Uh, we count ourselves blessed in so many ways, and it's easy for us to forget that there are those who suffer tremendously to bear the name of Jesus. So, Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are under persecution this morning. Father, we also pray that you would empower us to worship you with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and now, as we come to your word, with all of our minds. Uh, Father, engage with us intellectually, we pray. Uh, it is good that our hearts and our emotions are drawn to you. As we sang, Lord, so many of the songs, the words that we sang, just connect with us emotionally about your care for us and your love for us. But Father, we also need to understand your word so that we can apply it to our lives, so that your Holy Spirit can be about the work of, of changing not only how we feel, but how we think. And so, Lord, we give ourselves to you for this time. Father, please forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to understand and learn and know this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as you know, we're in the summer series, you pick it and we'll preach it. And we got lots and lots of, uh, of questions, but one that was very intriguing to me was the question, are Christians judged after death? Uh, we know that because of Jesus and the work he's done on the cross that we're saved and that we are accepted and received into heaven because of Christ. But is there any other judgment? Is there any kind of accounting? Is there any, anything else that happens? Or is it just we come in and the party begins and everything's great? Uh, and that question intrigued me because it's a question that I think Christians wrestle with fairly often, but they never quite get a clear answer. And I think God, through the Holy Spirit and the Apostle Paul, have given us some clarity in this topic. So we're going to look at it this morning, but we're going to look at it in terms of a building. We're going to look at it in terms of an investment. How are we investing our energy, our efforts, our times in a way that matter for eternity? So here's our sermon in a sentence. It's actually two sentences this morning, but they're both pretty short, almost a sentence. Every disciple of Jesus, so if you're here this morning, you're claiming to be a disciple of Jesus, this applies to you, is responsible to help build God's kingdom. You could put on earth in the, in the here and now. That's what we're talking about. Our materials and the quality of our work will be judged. The materials and the quality of our work will be judged. So we're called to be builders. And at some point, somebody is going to say, did we get the line straight? Is the building going to last? Is it going to work? in the spiritual sense of the word. So how is that going to play out in our lives? Well, I have four observations out of this text, so we're just going to kind of walk through verse by verse. Uh, the first observation I want to give you is in verse 10, and I'm calling it participation and progress. Let's reread verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. The first thing we need to 
grab in this text is Paul's very first word, words, according to the grace of God given me. In other words, Paul is saying, God gets the credit for my work. I'm empowered by God. I'm not doing this on my own strength. I'm not doing this in my own wisdom. I'm not doing this because I'm a really nice guy, and I just want to go around and plant churches so everybody gets to know Jesus and feels good about life. I have been called by the grace of God. So wherever else we go this morning, let's understand that God is the designer of the building. And that God has a purpose for you in that building. And he wants to use you accordingly. But God is the source of our power as we work in his kingdom. Also notice in this notion of participation and progress that not only is God the, the chief participant, but he calls us not only to participate, but he also calls us to strengthen and to grow in our skills and in our commitment. What does Paul say about himself? According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder. Now, Paul didn't start out that way. Paul didn't come to, to, to Jesus on the road to Damascus and the very next day become the great evangelist that we read about in the book of Acts. In fact, when we see Paul after his conversion sometime later, when we get into the missionary journeys, most historians will say that's at least 10 years after Paul became a Christian that he goes on his first missionary journey. What's happening during that time and then subsequently, what's happening as Paul goes to town after town and church after church is established, what happens? He learns. He grows. His love for Jesus gets deeper. His, his ability to plant churches, his ability to share the gospel gets sharpened and gets honed. He learns how to engage with different cultures and different people groups. He, he, he experiences growth over time. We should all desire to be a master builder, but we should all understand that it's a process that God is going to bring about in our lives. So I teach a class at Covenant Seminary every fall. I'm getting ready to start again uh, here in a few weeks. And I teach a class in homiletics. Homiletics is a fancy word for preaching. And I teach the advanced homiletics class. I have the last group, I have the seniors. It's their last preaching class before they, they leave seminary. And some of you know that I do this. And I've said to a lot of you before, I've heard some of the worst sermons ever preached in the history of the world. I mean, these guys are green. And I mean green. I mean Go, if you grow tomato plants, go get a really green tomato plant off your plant at home and take a big bite of it, and you'll know what my experience is in the classroom with these guys Listen to these sermons. They're just awful. I say I'm the last bastion between the local church and awful preaching. But you know what I've never experienced in that classroom? A lack of zeal, a lack of passion, a lack of calling. These guys know they are called by God to be disciple makers, to be pastors, to be preachers, to be teachers. And you know what? They're going to get really good at it. They're going to end up being really strong. Why? Because they're going to hone their craft. Every one of you has a calling if you're a disciple of Jesus. In fact, you may have two or three gifts that you're using. It might not just be one or two. God maybe has given you several gifts, but you're no different than the preacher. You're no different than the one who is, who is professionally serving in the kingdom in that you're part of building. How are you doing it? Honing your craft. How are you doing at identifying your gifts and sharpening them intentionally? Paul says, I become a skilled master builder. I'm making progress in my work in the kingdom of God. 
And notice that he also knows what he's supposed to be about. I'm a skilled master builder. What, did he, what have I done? I laid the foundation. Paul understood his calling. He understood that he was to go and evangelize, that he was to go and to start churches, and he knew that others would come along behind him and build them up. In fact, if you read through the first couple chapters of 1 Corinthians, he names some of these guys. He talks about a guy named Apollos who's coming after him, and he, he's strengthening the church. He's kind of putting the framework up. He's kind of putting the roof on it. He, he, he's a disciple maker where Paul is really leading people to Christ, but he knows what he's to be about, and he's actively pursuing his part. Do you understand? Do I understand our calling? And are we actively engaging in that calling? Like I said, it might be a variety of things. I have a friend here at Green Tree who, who spends most of her time teaching Sunday school. But one of the callings that God's put on her life is to speak truth into my life. And I saw her in downtown Kirkwood about, about probably six months ago, and she was riding a bicycle, and she didn't have a helmet on. And I said to her, so-and-so, what are you doing riding around without a helmet on? And she said, well, what are you doing driving your car down the highway about 90 miles an hour? To which I replied, we're talking about you. We're not talking about me. God sent me here to help you, not you to help me. But this is a person who, who and, I've, and I've known her for 20-something years, is a person who will just occasionally speak that little piece of truth that I need to hear. Now, if she doesn't actively pursue it, and, and if she isn't, uh, honing her skills and being gracious about it, maybe I won't listen to her. So I just came back from this long road trip I've been on. I think I drove like, I don't know, 21, 2200 miles. I drove all over the place, had just a wonderful time of relaxing, and I only got pulled over one time. I cannot wait to see her and tell her about the progress that I'm making in honoring God in the way I drive my car. This will last into eternity. I actually got pulled over by a guy in the far northern corner, northwestern corner, corner of Minnesota, and I didn't get a ticket because his computer wasn't working. But we ended up having like a 15-minute conversation on the side of the road. I mean, there's nothing to do on the highway in northern Minnesota except talk to the people you pull over. <laughs> so we ended up having a delightful. I told him I was a pastor. and all, you know. So there's the kingdom of God because she's saying to me, you know, you might want to slow down. And I'm slowing down most of the time, but troopers need to hear about Jesus too. Point being, <laughs> that's really a bad excuse for speeding. Point being. She understands, because I've told her before, thank you for speaking truth in my life. She knows that's part of what God's called her to do. What has God called you to do? What has God, do we understand it? And do we have the courage to pursue it? And to be intentional about building the kingdom of God? Are we participating in making progress? Because Paul says, we're all in it together. Look how he ends verse 10. Let each one take care how he builds upon. He doesn't say, let those who are supposed to build take care if they decide to build. He includes all disciples. So this is a conversation not only for, for us collectively as Green Tree Community Church, but it's also a conversation for us individually. Are we participating in the building of the kingdom of God? Are we doing so in a way that allows for spiritual progress in our lives? That's my first observation. The second one is what exactly is the project? What are we building? We knew, you know, Green Tree, we're building a building over there at 100 Kirkwood Place. What is the project? Look at verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What we're building at Green Tree is not a self-help center. If you're visiting here this morning, you just want somebody to help you get a little bit better because good people go to heaven. A, you're not going to hear that message. And, and B, it's the wrong message. But C, we'll try to tell you what we believe Scripture says is the right message. We're not about self-help. There are ways for us to, to conquer certain things in our lives and to, to grow more godly, but, but we're not about figuring out ways how to find that inner strength and, and make it come out. 
we're not about just trying to pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps. We're also not about just telling people what they want to hear. If, if you just want somebody to tell you you're a really nice person and you're probably going to get into heaven and everything's okay, you've come to the wrong place. That's not our calling because that doesn't include Jesus anywhere. No matter, you can do all that without Jesus. But we believe firmly in the root of our souls and the depths of our hearts that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And that is the project. The project is for us to believe that for ourselves and to share it with others. The church of Jesus Christ is the project. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, which leads us then to say this, Jesus is my Lord, which means every decision I make, every, every building I do, every, every, every work that I, that I take on, family, home, outside the home, business, wherever it is, there's no secular and sacred. It all falls under the lordship of Jesus. How am I doing at, at participating in the project? The message must always be the gospel of salvation and a life of discipleship. So if that's what we're supposed to be about, we're all supposed to be participating. We want to see some progress in our lives. How do we kind of look at this question of quality and craftsmanship? Well, let's start in verses 12 and 13 to, to try to answer that question. Verse 12 says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Verse 12 says, choices must be made about the quality of the material we use to build the spiritual kingdom of God. And the apostle puts the list in a descending order from most precious to least. From, from gold to silver to precious stones to wood, to hay, to straw. Now, probably all of everybody in this room, even the youngest of us, is familiar with the story of the three little pigs, right? And they guys that built with the real cheap stuff and the stuff that wouldn't last didn't fare too well. So this is a fairly common and easy thing to understand. Paul says the, the, the materials you choose with which to build will determine whether this is a long-lasting investment or whether it's kind of a cheap and, and temporal investment. Am I interested in spending my time, whatever my earthly calling is, doctor, lawyer, uh, teacher, wherever, uh, housewife, house husband, whatever my day in and day out life is, do I understand that my calling of building the kingdom of God is something that should have an eternal perspective? We need to look not just in the here and now, but beyond. The biggest question we have is the eternal question, and only the most precious of spiritual qualities will last into eternity. I think I may have told you this before, but I got an email about a year or so ago from a guy who was a kid in my youth group a long time ago, early 90s. And he, and he was kind of a, a, an angry student when he was a teenager, just didn't, didn't get along with his mom. He was uh, from a home of divorce, and he didn't really, I didn't think really wanted to go to youth group very much, but he lived close to me, and every Sunday night after youth group, I'd give him a ride home. And we'd ride in the car, and I'd talk to him, and I'd ask him a lot of questions. How was school this week? And how, what are you doing with your friends? What sports are you playing? And I just wouldn't, I felt like I was getting nowhere, and I felt like he just could not wait to get out of the car. I mean, he just did not like me. But every, every Sunday, I'd get him right home. So I get this email from him a while back, and he, and he says, I just want to let you know how much those rides home meant to me. 
and how much you just keep in talking to me, keep in asking me questions, uh, showing that you were interested in me, showing that, that, that this wasn't a way. I just want you to know that God used that in my life, and I'm following Jesus, and I just, you know, I'm kind of going back and thanking people, and you were on my list. I just want to thank you. I didn't want to, I didn't wake up one morning and say, I want to build with eternal materials. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get in the car and say, okay, now is my investment into eternity. I just kind of ended up there with this kid and thought, I just kind of want to keep telling them about Jesus. Friends, this isn't incredibly difficult to, to pick the precious things is all I'm saying. God brings us the opportunities every day. And, and as we look at the building materials we choose in our lives, if we, if we choose the, you know, kind of the gold, the, the silver, the precious stones, the gospel of Jesus applied to our lives, whether it's collectively as a church and the children's ministry or the student ministry or the, the question of, of race and diversity or sexual expression in our, in our culture, if, if we follow the preciousness of Jesus as Lord and we speak into that in a, in a way that speaks in an eternal love of God, we will be investing in a long-lasting investment because there is a second option. The second option is wood and hay and straw. In other words, living by temporal standards, investing in something that won't last. I call it the spiritual Ikea idea, right? Everybody's gone to Ikea when their kids go off to college, right? You want a chair and a desk and something that will last for four years with a couple of good rolls of duct tape, right? Nobody goes to Ikea to buy the very best, and you know, because Ikea, and it's a great business model. Here's some stuff that'll last for a couple of years, and it won't cost you very much money, right? And a lot of us look at our Christian life that way. I don't want to spend too much. I don't want to get too enmeshed. I, don't get, I, got, I have other interests. I have other things that are more important for me right now to pursue, and we lose that eternal perspective. But if we make that decision, if we make that choice, that investment will not last. The first one is built with great care. The second one is just kind of thrown together and, and hopes that it'll get us by. But here's what they both have in common. Whichever way you and I choose to build, and probably we choose both from time to time. There are probably days where we're focused, we're lasered in on our spiritual investment. There are probably other days where we're a little more wrapped up in temporal. So it's not like you kind of hit one and you never go back to the other. We probably go back and forth. But here's what they both have in common, they'll both be seen for what they are. There will be a day where God says, children, I want to hear how you spent your time. Not as one who's coming to condemn us. Not as one who's saying you're going to lose your salvation if you didn't do everything perfectly. Your salvation, my salvation, is by grace alone. It is not by any work or effort on our part. I'm not going to put these verses on the screen, but I'm going to pause for a minute and remind you of this, not from Tom Ricks's words, but from God's words. Galatians 2.16. We know, Paul, who wrote Corinthians, is also writing this letter. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Justified is another word for being saved. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We're not talking about salvation by works. We're talking about the judgment of our spiritual investment in the kingdom of God. 
And Paul says in verse 13, the day will disclose it. It will be revealed by fire, and fire will test what sort of work each one of done is done. Anytime you see the word the day in Scripture, and it has a capital D, that's talking about the judgment day of God. The day when we stand before God, and we're standing before God, and, and just to kind of paint a simple picture, God says, why should I let you into, into my heaven? And I say, because of Jesus, because of my faith in him, because he died for me and rose for me, and I've put my faith in him, and I've trusted him all my life, and God says, come on in. And he says, now tell me what you've done with that life. Hmm. Well, hopefully there'll be some good things to share, but I think there'll also be some things that won't, but it'll all be shared. It will all be seen. God's holy fire reveals our quality and our craftsmanship. But I also think there are tests that happen before that, don't you? I mean, we're not necessarily fiery tested by God, but I think we are tested by our culture and our world that says, what do you Christians really believe? I mean, the obvious one right now is the question of sexual expression and human sexual identity, is it not? And our culture is demanding in many ways that the church change our position on that. What will we do with that? Well, I want you to know I'm writing a paper on that, and it'll come out sometime in September and October. I haven't been uh, totally on vacation. I've been working on that, but I want to take my time with it, and I want to do it well. So it's going to be a little while before you hear, me, hear from me on that, but you will. But point being that the culture says we'd like you to change your workmanship. We'd like you to change the material you're using in this particular question. That's a test for us. How will we respond? So I think God gives us the opportunity to grow in the understanding of accountability for the lives that we are living. The quality and the craftsmanship in our work count because my fourth observation is there is an end result, right? Look at verses 14 and 15. If the work that anyone has built on foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. How are disciples judged? What exactly is Paul saying? Paul is saying this. It's very simple. Everything that's built on the gospel, everything that's built on the lordship of Jesus survives. Because it will be made clear, and, and there is work that is done that will survive. And beyond that, the worker will be compensated accordingly. Everything that survives, he will be rewarded, is the word that Paul uses there. And the, the technical word he's after there, receive his reward, is actually what, in the English, a probably a little better translation would be say, he receives the proper payment, right? So whatever that, that job was worth, that's what should be paid. So we have at Green Tree what's called the Porter Test. And while we're building this building, the, 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 the contractor will come to us and say, okay, here's the list of stuff that has to be paid now. Now, the plumber's all done, write the check to the plumber. And here, and the, uh, the, the, the steel workers are all done, now write the check to, this, to the steel company. And, and we've got to pay as, as we go for this, right? But not until Porter looks at it. <laughs> not, he's our business manager, if you haven't met Porter. Not until he makes sure it's okay. And, and if there's some cracks in the foundation, we're not going to pay the concrete guys until we find out what's going on there, and if the wrong paint was put on the wall, the painters sure aren't going to be paid. You get the idea that once it's checked off, then the appropriate payment is made. And that's what Paul is saying, that God is fair. He's going to reward you accordingly to the investment you've made in his kingdom. What kind of God would he be to say, work hard, invest in my kingdom, give your life, every moment of your life, give to the kingdom, take up your cross and follow Jesus. And then you get to heaven, he says, you know, that wasn't bad, I'll see you later. <laughs> That's not our Father. 
The Father says, follow me, trust me, do all of those things, and you're not going to begin to, you can't even get your mind around the tree I have in store for you when I see you. And I say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because everything else, according to 15, verse 15, that we build using the world standards will be burned up. And the workers compensated accordingly. Not lost his salvation. She hasn't lost her salvation. But it's kind of like through the edge of the fire, right? So there, there, there comes a moment where you say, you know, I get the feeling that I would say, boy, I really wish I had invested in the kingdom of God. And Paul says, don't wait for that day. You're not going to lose your salvation, but don't get to that day and say, man, I, I did so little. Don't feel like you've just barely escaped the flames. Feel like you've come, you've, you've come home. And you say, Dad, let's sit down and talk about what, what I got to do. I want to show you how your work and your grace and your gospel impacted my life. That's the end result to which Paul is pointing us. How do we apply this passage today? I'm going to give you three applications. The first one is just to the leaders of Green Tree, elders, pastors, deacons of Green Tree. This is first and foremost for us. Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. He's talking collectively. I've taken some of it and worked it into individual application because I think it's both and and not either or. But we lead the way. We set the tone. God has called us. He's placed us in positions of influence, not because we're the best, not because we're the brightest, but because he's chosen us and called us. And we've accepted that. But it's on us to lead this congregation in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was reading a book on, in fact, I haven't quite finished yet. I was reading a book on George Washington. And when they crossed the Delaware in the, in the winter of 76 on Christmas to attack the Hessians at Trenton, the surprise attack, he had all the officers, whether they were non-commissioned like sergeants or whether they were lieutenants and colonels and majors, he had them put a, a white feather in the back of their caps, in the back of their bonnets, so that they could be distinguished because it was a lot of rain and a lot of fog and the weather wasn't very good. And then he said to the enlisted men, if you see somebody with a white feather in their hat, follow him. He's a leader. If you've watched any current war movies, and Saving Private Ryan would be one, you might see that the Tom Hanks character, for example, had a little white stripe on the back of his helmet. Not on the front, on the back. It's not an insignia that says what his rank is. It says to the people behind him, I'm going this way, you can follow me. The leaders of Green Tree were supposed to lead from the front, not from the back. We're not supposed to push people out the door and say, good luck. We're praying for you. Hope it goes well. See you next Sunday. We're the ones that are supposed to give the most blood, sweat, and tears for the kingdom of God. And that's on us. But for all of us, we need to understand that the grace of Jesus, this beautiful salvation in which we stand, so that we can claim Jesus is Lord, is both a gift and a responsibility. Jesus says, come and follow me. Jesus offers salvation, and it is free. And you cannot earn it, and I cannot earn it. We can't work for it. But once we are disciples, once we are saved, Jesus says, now come join me in the work of the kingdom. And he offers us the responsibility, and God holds us accountable for our work. Therefore, we should have confidence. If Jesus has saved us, he's going to empower us to build I don't have to sit on the sidelines. I don't have to to feel like other people can do it, but I can't. But rather, we all have been given gifts and abilities and talents, and we're all useful, and we're all enabled and empowered to participate in building the kingdom of of God. Will the spiritual building of Green Tree Community Church last? 
Are we using the right materials, giving the right efforts, the right craftsmanship? God will be the judge. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you, I confess to you that I don't always live for your kingdom. That I can get into that spiritual Ikea world and be very temporal in my thinking. Lord, I would guess that some of my brothers and sisters here maybe struggle with the same thing. Lord, thank you that you don't call us to perfection, you call us to salvation. Thank you that Jesus was perfect for us. But Lord, please don't let us use that as an excuse to not understand our responsibility and to not embrace the opportunity you give us to build your kingdom, to be part of, of laying uh, out the gold and the silver and the precious stones that are the lives and souls of people that need to know you, the, the, the person who needs your care, the, the, just the friendly greeting of somebody walking through our door on Sunday morning, the, 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 the host of gifts that you've given people in this church, Lord, is amazing. May we see him as gifts, but also see him as a gift of a call to a responsibility to join you in building your kingdom so that on the day that we stand before you, we will do so with joy and with thankful hearts that you allowed us to have an eternal perspective in this day and age and could build for eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.